made for Dutch Brothers. You were born for it. A famous biochemist was struck suddenly by a disease that baffled all his doctors. He attended the greatest infectious disease doctors that he could find throughout the world, and nobody had an answer for him. He had a loving wife, four children who adored him. He loved his life, so he was determined to live. And so, as a famous biochemist, of course, to enhance my story, I give you a picture of a, of a laboratory. Uh, he threw all his energy, his knowledge, his skill into the laboratory, uh, testing and retesting his own blood samples and tissue samples, and reading countless journals and experiments of others, barely slept for months, barely ate, searched and searched and exhausted, and only exhaustion forced him to stop. His research was so extensive that he discovered the cause of cure, or sorry, the cause and cure, sorry, for several diseases. He opened the door for cures to cancer, even uh, opened doors for the common cold. His work became several of the greatest breakthroughs in the history of medical science. And then a month or so later, he died of a disease that he never found out what it was. Because he could not find out what it actually was wrong with him, was his work wasted? Was his journey wasted? In the journey, he discovered many things. Of course, I've made this person up. He's not a real person. Just <laughs> sorry to break it to you. It sounds better if you think he's real. There are things about Jesus Christ that you and I haven't a hope of discovering. We're never going to be able to know some of the mysteries that surround this person and actually to the core of who he, hit, who he is. There are things that we're never, we don't have a hope of discovering him, at least in this life. But the Bible tells us that we must pursue them. God tells us to pursue that which we will not find. Isn't that amazing? For some people, they say, well, uh, look, if you tell me I'm not going to find it, then fine. You know, they, 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 I'm going to ignore it. And therein bears the reason why. Right? If I say, well, you know, I'm not, if I'm not going to find everything about him that I want to know, then what's the bother? Then it bears my or reveals my motivation of why I'm searching in the first place. The scripture-led Christian, without conjecture without adding to the scripture what he or she wants to impute to it, is called to discover who is the Lord Jesus Christ as God, as man, as no beginning yet having a beginning. I mean, he's born, right? So that's a beginning. Uh, as being God yet dying and being resurrected. As being infinite yet finite. As being God, I mean, what's the strength of God? And uh, comparatively so, we say Jesus is the strongest man who ever lived, and he is, by far. But compared to God, he's a weakling. 
oddness in this person. If we pursue him, the Bible promises that we'll discover things that are amazing. What has not entered into the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. And so, that's what we're going to look at. Let's start today, the hypostatic union, Jesus Christ is God and man. He's born into this world as a man. And also, the discovery of this man by these certain mysterious people called magi. We don't know really where they're from. We just know they're from the east. And yet they pursue. They pursue a sign. And they end up at the feet of the Messiah. And he's a... He's a, he's a young lad, you know, less than two years old at least. And they're bowing to him, which in itself is odd. There's many odd things here. Actually, as soon as Matthew was done with chapters 1 and 2, I wonder if he just scratched his head and said, no one's going to believe this. <laughs> because a lot of people still don't. Uh, all right, so as far as announcements are concerned, uh, class next week, no class Thanksgiving week. I realized that I kept announcing that there was no class on the 21st and 22nd, Tuesday and Wednesday, and then maybe you assumed, oh, so there's class on Thanksgiving, but no, there is not. So no class 21 through 23. I'm going to take a break there. Uh, Zoom meetings have moved to Mondays. uh, We've started a journey on discovering the history of the nation of Israel uh, in that. Uh, We're starting with, if you want to join us, you could uh, do your homework and read Exodus 12, or at least peruse it. And uh, our next Bible study, uh, we decided to do this again uh, after we we really enjoyed our first one. So I was going to ask around who wants to do what and or when, so I just, you know, I decided I'm just going to set it. So Wednesday the 29th. So the week after Thanksgiving, Wednesday the 29th, same time, 4.30. Just let me know if you need me to change the time, if 5 would be better or something, we'll, we'll work with you. But I figured I'd just put it out there um, Wednesday the 29th at 4.30. I still don't know what we're going to study yet, but I'll let you know. All right, sound good? All right, let's open up in prayer. Let's be thankful and grateful to God for his word and for the opportunity to be together and to learn more. Uh, So with humility, reverence, thankfulness, before we study his word and sing to him, we should be of the right mind. Let's bow our heads and pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this time together. We have as your children, your royal family, to be before you to discover the mysteries of our Lord Jesus, uh, who therefore through him just shows us the mysteries of you. And to you, Father, do we bow. To him do we bow, as the Magi did so many years ago. Um, We have the privilege of learning. But we have to be in that position of humility and obedience to learn. Pride learns nothing. Pride only learns for himself. But humility learns. And that's why, Father, as we pray, we seek that humility. We set our hearts in the position of submission to you as we submit to your word and to your glory, to discover glory. 
and to be set free by the things that you have so blessed us with. None of us have anything worthy to give to you that you have given to us. And then in return, we give our time, our sacrifices, our thanksgiving, all of which come from you anyway. So we ask, Father, that through your Spirit, our hearts would be greatly enlightened this morning, all of us. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. All rise, please.
All right, hypostatic union. Who can, hypo, not hyper. <laughs> hypo. Actually, it comes from a Greek word. Uh, sound. It sounds like a, a, a intense word, right? Hypostatic, but it, it's not. <coughs> um, okay, Hebrews one three. This is where the word is. Uh, the Greek word is in Hebrews one three. Free donut to anybody who can pick the word out. Um, so, God wants us to pursue truths that are unknowable. Isn't that great? I, I, yeah, there were years past I, I would have you know, not been excited about that point. But um, the more uh, later on now I've, I've learned a bit about God and... Um, <coughs> Even just in preparing this um, this coming week, or you know, this really this whole chapter, uh, because we get to John the Baptist in chapter three, and so we're pursuing a man there, and that that's easier. But when you're when you're pursuing Christ, like this is about his origins in the world and his identity and his character, and it's way over my head. I, I just, I can't fathom it. And uh, it, it's, it's unknowable. And so I'm like, God, what do you want me to say or do? Because I don't know this. And then he just says, you know, just teach my word. It'll be fine. And it will be. <clears throat> because this um, is a journey that's going to take your whole life, and I, you know that's why I picked the title. You're not going to live through it, because this journey is going to cost you your life. But in reality, it's the life that you actually have already given because Christ crucified it. So that's what has to go. And as the farther down this journey you get, and think about how many places in the Scripture that the journey motif, run the race that is set before you, Forget what lies behind. Reach forward to that which is ahead. Pick up your cross and follow me. Right? There, it's all over the New Testament and the Old. This journeying and discovery. And that's what the journey is. It's discovery. And it's a discovery that's going to be the scariest thing you've ever done and the hardest thing you've ever done. It's far easier not to do it. Because it costs you everything to do this. Your pride's got to go. If you're gonna, it depends on how far down the journey you want to go. Your pride's got to go. Your jealousy has got to go. Your lust has got to go. You're not going to become sinless, but your practice of sin, it's got to go. Or you're just, you're going to take an exit off this journey far too soon than God wants you to. When Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews, it's not Paul, in my opinion, it's not Paul, which is the only opinion that counts, right? Uh, uh, in Hebrews, we run the race that is set before us, laying aside every encumbrance and the sin that so easily entangles us, right? You can't run. That word encumbrance in Greek is a marvelous word. It's, in the ancient world, men would have to hike up their skirts and run. Because they wore robes in the east, and if you're going to run with those, they tangle up in your legs. So, you know, every encumbrance is you pick this up, free your legs to run. 
And the writer of Hebrews knows that it's a perfect analogy for freeing yourself from sin that causes you to not be able to run. Uh, so, we're in the pursuit of the identity of the person of Christ. None of us are going to know the fullness of his identity. But in the pursuit of him, there's aspects of eternal life that we are going to find. And we're going to look at one of those in particular as we close today. Because there's, though I'm not going to be able to unravel the fact that God, who is infinite and without time, has become a finite man born at a certain time, that the creator of all things became a part of his creation, not just for a temporary time, but for all of eternity. Uh, I ain't gonna, I'm not going to get far with that in terms of trying to unravel that. But while I'm pursuing him, there's going to be things that I'm going to see and find that I never would if I don't pursue him. So you have to get ready to go. God is going to bring you to places that you've never been before. And it's okay. But it's scary. For example, there's a reason why. Now, if we don't pursue him, we won't find things that we need to find and discover uh, because there's no other way to do it. And God gave us, so Christ gave us the Holy Spirit. As he says in John 16, I'm giving you the Spirit so that you can discover the things about me. And the things about me are the things about the Father. So he gave we have the Holy Spirit within to do that. But there's and this is one of the reasons why so many Christians don't have the love of God in their lives. They may claim to, but they don't because they don't pursue Christ. They're not pursuing the God man. They think they are, or they're pursuing church for different reasons. But the church is for that reason. There's no other reason for us to be in a building together than for all of us together to pursue Christ. That's what we're here for. No other reason. Everything else is extra. Which is fine if you can do it. If you can have a school and educate kids, great. But it, or, or outreach, that's great. Uh, whatever. Whatever you're doing is fine. But if any of that substitutes or takes the place of your pursuit of Christ, then it's absolutely wrong. It has no place in the church. The church is designed for all of us to find him. So, the theme today is the identity of of Christ and hypostatic union. Uh, We'll scratch the surface on it about as much as we can do. Uh, uh, This hypostatic Hypostasis is a word that means uh, nature. So what it means, it means an identity. It means a uh, substance. And it's a, a substance. Uh, hupo uh, means over and uh, stasis means to remain. And so you have this, you know, you remain over a certain place. So actually, the, it, the word can be used to mean courage. Because you remain and you don't run. So you have substance, right? So here it means a substance, and it's particularly used for Christ in Hebrews 1.3. Defining it, which is varied, you find many definitions. I I went to Colonel Theme for his definition, which is marvelous because it's it's full and succinct. Um, And then this this one is kind of a conglomerate of me and him. 
the Lord Jesus is the Son of God who became true humanity without diminishing his divine attributes at all. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. You cannot diminish deity and have it remain deity. Deity either is or it isn't. So a Jehovah's Witness who says, well, he's a God, a created God, well, you just took away deity from him completely, although they have other reasons for stating that. But when God becomes a man, and believe, and this is becoming a man, body, soul, spirit, truly, not indwelling a man, becoming a man. Boom, right? It, it's The more you think about it, the more impossible it is. But as it should be, why shouldn't it be impossible? I find it funny, in the research I've been doing for this, thanks to my experience at Corbin University, I've discovered journals. I never used those before. I can see why. Uh, but, uh, you know, there's hundreds of journals that are full of articles of oh, going back to the 1800s. And I have the library system at my my fingertips, right, right in the computer. I don't even have to go down there and open up a, you know, a drawer that has, I don't even remember what it's called, the little cards in there, Dewey Decimal System or whatever it is. I don't, you don't have to do that anymore. You just pop up, type it in. And the guy who runs the library at Corbin was in Greek class with me. His name's Garrett, and him and I have become friends. So I say, hey, Garrett, can you find this for me? So anyway, um, I find that articles, in which this is incredibly interesting to me, that <clears throat> there's, a, there's a lot, there's a great mass of people who are in seminaries, they're, they're PhDs, they're in universities, and they don't really take the scripture literally. And there's many of them that will not accept, for instance, Matthew 1 and 2 as historical they take it as myth, as, you know, it's Matthew was kind of embellished. Sure, Jesus was born, it, you know, he kind of embellished it. And, uh, and yet, they will write that God became a man. And I say, well, wait a minute. You, you're, you're okay with God becoming a man, but you're not okay with magi coming from the east or following a star or a virgin having a child? You're believing the hugest thing there is, and you're saying, well, that doesn't sound right. Of course it doesn't sound right. <laughs> Matthew is setting us up for this. Matthew 1 and 2, I'll show you, either it's today or coming up. There's a, uh, Later this week, there's a list. If I just put together all the things that Matthew shows us in chapters 1 and 2, all of it is incredibly improbable, every bit of it. And yet there it is. When God becomes a man, how do we not expect it to be absolutely crazy or improbable? And yet, we believe, and as we should, the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God, has become true humanity. That means material and immaterial, soul, spirit, body, without diminishing his divine attributes. In the person of the incarnate Christ are two natures, divine and human, inseparably united without mixture or loss or separate identity. He's not half and half. One hasn't become less. That Both of them are true and pure. But yet in one person, without loss or transfer of properties or attributes, the union is personal and eternal. God is a man for all of eternity. God is one of his creatures. 
for all of eternity. And you remember, the same body that went into the tomb is the same body that came out. And just to make sure we all knew that, there's scars on the body. So, Hebrews 1.3. And he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature. And there's your word, nature is hypostasis. It means substance in contrast to outward manifestation. And that's important uh, because it wasn't long before false doctrines came out that Jesus wasn't actually human. I mean, how could he be, right? He's God. So he is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the word of his power. This man can speak and create worlds. Now imagine... Here's the Lord Jesus. Here's Jesus of Nazareth, the carpenter's son, which many think this guy is an upstart. He is something wrong with him. He doesn't adhere to the Jewish traditions that have developed over the last couple hundred years. And uh, he's actually talking with such authority and doing miracles that is making all of us in the religious establishment kind of nervous. And uh, we don't like him at all. So you know what? We're going to mock him. We're going to make up lies about him. We're going to test him with stupid questions and try and trip him up. We're going to do everything in our power to destroy his reputation and him if we can. How many times did they seek to kill him? In his own hometown, they tried to throw him off a cliff. And imagine, you're the Lord Jesus Christ, and at your fingertips is infinite power. You're gone. Now, yet we know, kenosis means he said it, like emptied himself, which really the, it's a, it's a concerted effort within himself to, Empty himself. Empty's fine, but we say lay aside or not use. In Philippians 2, he's not going to use the expression of his deity. But think of the self-control. He's a finite human being, and he's being mocked. He's thirsty. He's hungry. He's bleeding. He's sorrowful. He's experiencing every temptation. He is man through and through, human being. And he has the infinite power of the universe at his disposal. And he doesn't use it. So he could save you. Now, this is the one we have to discover. Of all other stuff that's going on in your life and all the people, and we have to deal with them all, that Never stop pursuing that, him, never. If the other people want to get in the way of the time that you have, you set aside, we can't do it 24-7, but we have to pursue him. If anything or anyone is getting in the way of that time, that is the stupidest use of your time. To waste it on a person or a circumstance or a thing or even a work of some kind. There's time for that. Right? That was the, the whole thing between Mary and Martha. Jesus, tell him to help me, tell her. 
Sorry, I don't do distraught woman very well. No. No, actually, I do it quite well if I'm in the mood. If I'm in the mood, that's when I look to my wife and say, should I do that? And she goes, no, don't do that. Tell her to help me. Look, dinner can wait, Martha. I also, my, my other favorite line for Martha is, he'll stink. Remove the stone. Oh, Jesus, no. Let me go get the Lysol first. He's, he's been dead four days. He's going to stink. It wouldn't be very long before false doctrines about this truth of the hypostatic union would emerge. It's not hard to see why. Marcion in 144 A.D. said that Jesus was a spiritual being separate from the God of the Old Testament. He had a huge following, Marcionism. It was enormous. It was actually a great competitor to the real church. 144. That's less than 50 years after the Bible was complete. Some guy was saying that Jesus was not the God of the Old Testament, that he was a spiritual God that was, in fact, opposed to the God of the Old Testament. Then there's Docetism, 200 A.D., that the Son of God only appeared to be a man. It comes from the Greek word dokane, which means a phantom or to seem. And that was the very popular. Because people would say, well, yeah, you know, that has always bothered me. How are you saying that God became a man? That's a man. He's flesh and blood and, and bone. I mean, that's not... Uh, God can't be that. And so there was a doctrine that said, well, he only appeared to be a man. But he is material human, immaterial human, body, soul, and spirit. This would have been a, a beyond amazing to the minds who first heard it. And we're kind of familiar with it. And I think we need not be. We need to try and get back at least, try and picture ourselves as the original hearers and readers of these truths. And that to call a man God is, even to the Jews, crazy. Did they believe him? I mean, the Old Testament said that we read it, that God would be with us. And that has a broad interpretation. Does it mean, does it mean exactly that a man is going to be God Almighty? I mean, God is transcendent, is he not? He'll be called Mighty God in Isaiah 9. Yeah, but called God might mean something else. But this is truly what he was. Deity as a man. And Jesus Christ is an eternal contrast then. Strength and weakness. And the strongest man by far who ever lived compared to God is a weakling. Infinity and finiteness. Eternity and being born. So we have to pursue these questions. And even though they make you doubt, if you're scared, I, I do remember being a little too scared of questions like this, so I kind of bypass them. Because they make you a little uneasy. It's easier to just memorize the formula. Let me define hypostatic. You know, oh, yeah, I can define. Undiminished deity and true humanity, one person forever. I can say that. Because Colonel Thiem and Pastor Bob McLaughlin said it again and again and again and again. And I can, yeah, I can remember that. Uh, and it, it's, I, it's better, you know, I can have the definition, but to pursue the truth of it is going to lead you into places where you're going to be like, what? And, you know, I have a, my, one of my favorite writers, George MacDonald, and I don't just say that because C.S. Lewis called him his favorite writer, but 
I've read his books and I love I love him. I love his mind. And he writes prolifically about how Christians need to be doubting things. So they pursue them. He was very much against the organized church in Scotland because it was just so rubber stamped, you know, in his view. And he wanted his listeners and his readers to go to the places where, you know, I wonder, how can that be true? And then to pursue it. All right, go to Matthew 2. Matthew 2.1. So the Magi are going to help us out here. We're not going to be done with them. Um, We'll be looking at chapter 2 all week. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, of course, this is is a clear break from chapter 1, which is his genealogy, uh, which Matthew puts together neatly in three 14-name sets, which... uh, you know, has its own its own uh, meaning to that, which we kind of looked at. We'll return to a bit, but um, now it comes to the narrative, not of his birth, because Matthew's not going to talk about his birth. Luke is going to do that, but Matthew is not. This is about Jesus going from Bethlehem to Egypt to Bethlehem to Nazareth. This is all about location. But what is here, as Jesus is moving, somebody's following him. And it, at this case, in this case, unfortunately, it's not Israel. Israel's all anxious and afraid. The Magi come. It's, uh, Herod is anxious about it and afraid. And as Matthew says, all of Jerusalem was, for whatever reason. And they're not pursuing him, but this group of Gentiles are. And as Jesus is moving, so are they. So now after the, Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now in the east is a phrase that can mean also at the rising. Because this Greek word east, Anatole, if you ever heard of Anatolia, it's, the, it's a word that the Romans gave to Turkey, the Far East. Um, it's the Greek word for east, but it, it was also a word that meant where the sun rises. So the word also means rising. And so that's why I put the English Standard Version up there for you, because they take it that way. For we saw his star when it rose. All right. So why do I do this is because when it comes to rising suggests, oh, there's something rising. Let's follow it, which obviously they do. But I want to emphasize that because they're following. And then when they get to Jerusalem and they find out that he's in Bethlehem, they follow again. And then the star. Now, Matthew uses the Greek word for star. It's not cloud, it's not fire, it's not glory. It could be many words, but he uses the word star, estera. It sounds just like our English word. And uh, so it's a star. Now, skip down to verse 9 after they go to find him in Bethlehem. 
And hearing the king, they went their way, and the star, which had been seen in the east, went on before them until it came and stood over the place where the child was. And all of this is translated from Greek just right. So there's no translation issues here. It went on before them. That's a Greek word that means to lead. And then it stood until it stood over. And that the word for over is over. And stood is stood. So that this star, whatever it was, stood over the place where the child was. It doesn't say, Matthew doesn't use the word house or barn or whatever he could use. He just says where. So the star stood above where the child was. Now, I love the stars. I even got a telescope not long ago uh, right off my porch to the east, to Anatolia. I can see Jupiter, and this beautiful this telescope's awesome. I can see the little red and white lines on Jupiter. I can see all the moons. They move all the time. Right now, all I see is clouds, but you, know, you can see that. I love it. But if you follow Jupiter, you would go all the way around it. Well, it would disappear once you got to a certain place, but you're not going to go to someone's house. Same with any star. You didn't need me to explain that to you, I know. But. So there's something odd about this thing. Yet Matthew calls it a star. He's the only one who talks about it. He's the only one who writes about it. So there's volumes. Talk about looking up papers that talk about where the star is or what it is. Tons of them. I don't have time for them. However, there is this only one thing in Scripture that behaves like this. It's not a star, but it behaves like it. And it's the cloud in Israel. Roaming through the wilderness, the Jews are following a cloud. Now, this cloud, it's not star, but it's the same cloud that fills the tabernacle. There's this wonderful paragraph at the end of Exodus where Moses, you know, after Moses has gone through all this with the Jews and all this, and you can't go into the promised land and all, you know, all, I mean, he's at his wit's end. And the tabernacle's finally built. And all the time it took to do that, all the artistry and the construction, and then the, the thing's finally built. And then Moses goes, what, what would you want to do once it's built? By the way, you are of the tribe of Levi. You can go in. You're not the high priest, so you can't go all the way in, but you can go in. And what we read at the end of Exodus is that a cloud fills the tabernacle, which is the glory of God, and Moses can't go in. Because the cloud's there. So Moses is like, thank God this thing is finished. He's about to go in and he can't because cloud's there. And, you know, the Bible is set up by the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit. The next book after the cloud's there and no man can go in is Leviticus. And the first thing Leviticus opens up with is the burnt offering by which man can enter. The tabernacle. You can't go into the glory of God without the sacrifice of the Son, without the blood sacrifice. And as we know, Christ, when he died, tore the veil. So we go all the way in, and we as his believers are therefore, therefore, beholding the glory of God. Now this glory is the cloud which Israel followed. I found this wonderful picture. You see, they look like those are people. 
So that you didn't know Moses had a drone and he was snapping pictures while they were while they were marching through the wilderness. But uh, you know that that's a great depiction. Uh, over over here, there's uh, I get my pen. I love my pen. Over here are the sheep. Those are all the animals. Think it, it, roughly two million people. You know how many animals they're bringing with them? Like this is a not this is not. This is the world's biggest camping trip, and they're headed. They're follow. If that cloud gets up and leaves, they follow it. If it stops and settles, they set up the tabernacle and they stay there. Right? They're pursuing and obeying. And then when it stops, there's a nice picture of. Uh, so when it it says in Leviticus and in Numbers that not in Leviticus, right? Numbers. Exodus and Numbers, that it, there's an appearance of a fire inside the cloud. So it's not like the cloud goes away. Some even think that the fire is always there. It's just in the daytime you can't see it so clearly. And at night it's really bright. But there's a glory of God in the cloud that at night shines. And, um, and that's when they stop. And so as we see in Numbers 9.17... Whenever the cloud was lifted from over the tent, afterward the sons of Israel would then set out, and in the place where the cloud settled down, there the sons of Israel would camp. And this, it's, it's not a star, but its behavior is like the star that the Magi follow. So I'm not saying that the star, believe me, I'm not saying that the star is the cloud from the Old Testament. I'm not. What I am saying is that Jesus, as a young boy even, is the glory of God. And the Magi are led to him. Whether it's a cloud. So what, what is Israel pursuing? I mean, that's what they're pursuing. That's the glory of God. Is the cloud God? No. It's a beacon. It's a beacon that says, look, come here. And when I stop, stay. When I go, go. And when we pursue Christ, right, this hypostatic union is we're pursuing this one who is impossible to fully know, at least in this lifetime. You know, how infinite deity becomes finite man. How a man in a finite body is also the God of the universe holding the whole thing together infinitely everywhere. Right, we're not going to be able to wrap our minds around that. It will be a mystery to the day we die. But we pursue it. And we must. Because as we pursue it, there's things that we're going to find that we would have never found before. As uh, Jesus, we're going to John, right? No, we're going to Colossians. So, yeah. yeah go to John 1.14. Let's stay on. Because as John, now John's gospel does not have a birth narrative, uh, doesn't have, it doesn't start with that. John starts with a prologue and actually starts with John the Baptist and the baptism of Christ. Um, but in John 1.14, you know, he opens his gospel with the famous, the word was God, and 
in John 1.14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So you see this dwelt among us. This is the actual tabernacle language. And in fact, Theme and, and Bob used to always interpret this, um, that he tabernacled among us. And it's the same word. Uh, to dwell is to tabernacle. And that's why the tabernacle was there. I mean, the whole purpose of it is to say, look, I'm God in your midst, but I am holy. Don't you dare come in here unless you bring the proper blood and you're of the proper type. So the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth, which is where we got the name for this church. So notice what we, we saw this. Right? Not a cloud. We saw him. And as Jesus said to Philip when, when they said, you know, I'm, I'm going to go to the Father. And Philip said, well, show us the Father and, and that will be great. It will be good enough for us if you show us the Father. And he said, Philip, have I been with you so long that you don't know that when you see me, you see the Father? I am the Father. And so we see this, but we don't see him in the flesh but what we have that at that on that night Philip did not have was the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit and the full canon of scripture and don't forget the word of God is alive and powerful don't forget that the word became flesh and that the word was God and with the word and with the spirit within you if you set off in this journey to find the Lord Jesus Christ it you're going to find things that you couldn't have imagined and they become part of your very life. And you're going to change. Your heart's going to change. Your whole manner's going to change. In a good way. So true humanity means that he is not dwelling in a human body. The body is not made for like a vehicle. It's not like a human vehicle or a car or like a ro he's in some robot thing you know it's he is a man and it, it really shows that how much our bodies are actually a part of us like we say well we can't wait for this thing to die so that we get a new body but well that mindset depends on how old you are young people don't say that but as we get older we're like man just throw this thing in the trash bin and give me another one a new one, but yet Jesus is the body that went in, is the body that came out. And yet Gnosticism, which has really very much invaded Christianity to this day, gives the church this idea that spirituality is all in the mind, it's in the soul, and it, what your body does doesn't matter. That's untrue. We're to present our bodies as living and holy sacrifices. Use the members of our bodies as instruments of righteousness. Both those passages in Romans. The body is a part of us. Jesus' body was a true body. So how does he have a true body and only a mother? And I really, I always love Theme's explanation of this, that the Holy Spirit made up the other 23 chromosomes. And you know, that, it's a good theory. It's just not substantiated in the scripture. I, I would say I don't know how that happens. And the fact that God does not go into DNA with us. 
He refuses. He refuses to talk DNA or genetics with us as if we could possibly comprehend. What he says to us is he didn't have an earthly father so that God, not son of Joseph, son of God, but he had an earthly mother and in vitro for nine months just like everybody else, he's truly human. And in that way, God gives us this unique, I mean, isn't he different now from the Father and the Son? I mean, the Holy Spirit? Does that mess with your head a little? It does with mine. How infinity could have a birthday? It messes with my head. And uh, I love that it messes with my head. But the, here's one of the things that I see that is a that could be an error with this. I say, well, I could never understand that, so eh, why pursue it? Why would the Bible tell us about it if he didn't want us to pursue it? Because I think, just like my opening thing, I tried to think of, you know, while you're in the pursuit of something, <laughs> you may never get there. But along the way, you discovered so many things. Right? Like, what did we do the other day? Chris and I said, uh, she said, hey, there's this cool garden up near Portland. And I, I didn't know exactly where it was. So I was like, oh, let's go. So, But we decided to make a pit stop first. And then we got back on I-5. And we started driving up there. And we get on, it's way up 205. It's like up near the airport. And I'm like, we're a number of miles up 205, and I'm like, where is this thing again? And she said, well, it's probably up near the airport. I'm like, whoa, I, like, I don't want to go that far. And <laughs> like, we're really three-quarters of the way there, and I want to turn around. I'm like, do you mind if we turn around? Because I don't really want to go anymore. And we did. I wasted 30 bucks in gas to go nowhere. We just drove around. But we had a good day. Yeah, us and the little tyke in the back. It was a day out. It was really quite fun. Um, so, you know, as you're pointed towards a goal, right, along the way, if you put your heart and soul into this journey, leaving behind, right, as Paul writes in Philippians 3, forgetting what lies behind, reaching forward to that which is ahead, reaching for the upward goal, which is the call in Christ Jesus, oh, man, what we're going to find is going to be immense. So, let's go to Ephesians 4. I'll start with a quote. Ah, here we go. So, we're not pursuing a cloud or a star, but we are pursuing. And what we are pursuing is the glory of God by the Spirit indwelling us, and by the Word of God. Hypostatic union is one of the many aspects or doctrines that apply to the person of Christ. We call it Christology. It's, you study his incarnation, his hypostatic union, his deity, his humanity, uh, his priesthood. He's a prophet. He's a king. You can say you know, all these things about him, all, all things that we have to know. 
And this passage really uh, uh, emphasizes for us the hypostatic union. In Colossians 1, it says, All the fullness of deity dwells in him in bodily form. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. In 1.19, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. In Colossians 1.15, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. But I want to close with uh, Ephesians 4. Now, we can identify with him living as a godly man. Right? When you read in the Gospels that he's being kind or gracious or giving, right? those are things you can do. I think we easily identify with that. Um, even at times, you know, when he does miracles, not that we can do miracles, but he always does his miracles for the benefit of showing or revealing truth. And you have revealed truth to people. And by that, you're actually showing them, you know, it's really a miracle. That's the fact that you and I could be ones who understand that truth and communicate it is really pretty miraculous for us. Yet we do it. So when we see Christ doing things in the Gospels, we can identify, uh, at least somewhat. But when it comes to the infinite mystery of God-man, we must not leave it alone just because we, we have no reference to it. None, none of us do. Now, does it mean that we'll come to know the unknowable? No. But for that reason, we must not leave it aside. We must be careful, and I always press this, don't I, is that we should not conjecture Say, oh, I got the new heavy revy on Christ and his hypostatic union. No, you don't. If there was a new heavy revy, they would have found it hundreds and hundreds of years ago. You think you're the first to actually pursue this? People have spent their whole lives pursuing this. In, in a right manner. They've done marvelous work. But basically, everybody comes up with the same thing. It's just that they... they Express it in different ways. Some people do that really well. And they're very helpful. But now, and I will say this before I close with this passage, that as you pursue, you're not pursuing what your pastor's pursuing. You're pursuing what you're pursuing. All right? You've got to know the word for yourself. I'm here to help. Right? I'm here to point to where the star is. And I don't even go into your life and say, hey, you're looking the wrong way. That's none of my business. It's God who's going to tell you you're looking the wrong way. That's another Philippians 3 beautiful passage. If in anything we have a different attitude, God will show us. So as you pursue this, you say, well, if I pursue it on my own, what if I make mistakes? If I start reading the Bible on my own, what if I make mistakes? God is going to reveal that to you. Don't you worry about it. Read. Pursue it. You have to pursue this on your own. You can't follow somebody. The Israelites were to follow the cloud, not Moses. They were to follow, they were to look to the tabernacle, not Moses, not Aaron. We look, keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of faith. 
And that makes the journey personal, which is truly great. Okay, so look at uh, Ephesians 4.13. Until we all attain, so Ephesians 4.11 speaks of the gifts that are given to the church, the communication gifts, and that's to build up the body of Christ. Until we all attain the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of the stature that belongs to the fullness of Christ. Now, when it says, and of the knowledge there, that's the Greek word epinosis. It should be full knowledge or complete knowledge. And so, till we all attain the unity of the faith and the full knowledge of the Son of God. All right, so when you attain the full knowledge of the Son of God, you can quit Christianity. Because you have graduated. All right, you can put the tassel on the other side, walk across the stage, and leave. You'd be like Magi just walked off the stage of the world never to be seen again. You can do the same. So until that time. But doesn't Paul says here, pursue it, right? Until we attain it. The full, the epinosis, full knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is a whole life. It's a whole life. And the, if you're going to get as much as God wants you to, You have to, the, I don't want to say, you know, I, I often say your whole life wants God to go. It's not your whole life, right? But nothing must get in the way. If anything, we've got all the other stuff to do. Taking care of people, taking care of things, paying bills, you know, whatever. Taking care of yourself, taking a vacation every once in a while, you know, taking care of your brain, taking a rest, all that. Not too much rest, but some. And all that we got to do. But when any of those things starting to get in the way of this pursuit, and those things are becoming idols, and those things are, then you're, see that, the will of self, I'll put it this way, the will of self has to die. And when that dies, and the flesh says, no, don't kill me. Right? Well, he's already been killed. He or she's already been crucified with Christ. It's just in your mind you're saying you're dead. Um, then you will dis- you you truly start to make ground here because your eyes are not you know one eye is filled with Christ and one eye is filled with me or my life or my wants. That's gone, and all I want to know is Him. And when you know Him, you're going to know how to do all the rest of the stuff marvelously. And truly in the right way. Now, here's the example. That one. The next, the example that Paul then uses is one of the things that we'll discover along the journey to know the mystery of Christ is love. So look at uh, verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Notice all aspects. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by that which, by what every joint supplies, and I truly believe that the joints are all of us, that's our... uh, our service and our spiritual gift to one another, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. So we have here, um, as a result, we're no longer children, right? So this 
increase in knowledge of Christ and the pursuit of Christ guides us away from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity, no longer being tossed here and there by waves, is like I said before, this uh, commitment to self is being put aside, so I'm not carried away by everything. And uh, then I speak the truth in love. And the body is built up in love. And why? Because I've pursued the knowledge of the Son of God. Notice verse 14 again says, as a result. As a result of what? That I have attained the full knowledge of the Son of God. As a result of that, I'm no longer a spiritual infant. I'm not so distracted by everything that comes my way because my mind is set on one, him. And because my mind is set on him, guess what I learned along the way? Divine love. I learned how to love you. Has this happened to you where you've actually loved someone that is so hard to love and yet, and then you, you did it? Uh, you know, because in your mind, you didn't judge, you didn't condemn, you actually wanted to benefit them, or you felt compassion for them. And then did you afterwards say, what the heck was that? Where did that come from? Because you were pursuing Christ, he showed you what love is. And this one of many virtues that he is. And you'll change. But as soon as if we're like, all right, I'm going to pursue love. Do you see the error? Because love in and of itself does not stand. It's not a thing. Love doesn't stand on its own. No matter what all the poets and the songs and the movies say, it does not. All we need is love. No, that's wrong. Love is God. That's where you find love. Where do you find justice? God. Where do you find anything that's good is Him. He came into the world on a mission of mercy. Now, that's another journey right? that we could speak about. He came from heaven to earth. Think of His journey. The step down to the depths of the earth, down to even death on a cross, the lowest. That, that, ex, that type of execution was reserved for traitors. It was the worst execution you could get by the Romans. He went to the worst place. And what a journey that is. He who was rich became poor so that you who are poor could become rich. So, along the way, we learn love. That's one of many things. So, this will be, for you and me, the most frightening journey that we could ever take. Because it's the thing we love the most has to go. And the thing you love the most is self. The flesh does. It will be the most frightening and costly journey you will ever take. But what you will find will be infinitely priceless. And there's no other way to find it except to pick up your cross and follow him. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you that you 
have blessed us with our Lord, that you brought him into the world through the Spirit, through Mary, on that day, and that you had a plan for him. We thank you that through that he was submissive to that plan. He submitted himself in obedience to the point of death, and he did so that, so that we could live. What infinite mercy you have for us, Father. May your mercy and your love so influence us that we become like you. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Let's pray for our offering. Father, thank you for the opportunity to give. And as your believer priest, we give in honor and in respect of you um, and worship of you. We ask, Father, that you bless this offering. In Christ's name, amen. Everybody, I know. Okay. Let's close in prayer. Thank you, Father, for the time together. Thank you for your word. Your word is just so full of all things good. We ask, Father, again, that through your word that we would see our Lord even more clearly than ever through this gospel. We uh, set before all who are listening who have not come to believe in Christ as their Savior this opportunity to believe upon him. If you're listening to this, and then you are in the perfect position to be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ because it's through him and him alone that salvation comes. He's the only name under heaven by which men can be saved. He is the Lord, God the Son, who became a man. And in no other religion is this true, but only in Christianity, that God himself becomes a man to sacrifice himself for you and then offers salvation to you without cost, because he paid the price. He was judged for all of your sins. He died and then was resurrected on the third day, now sits in heaven. If you believe upon him, you will join him for all of eternity, because he has made that path for you, being judged for you. Believe upon him and you will be saved. We thank you, Father, and bless this day. In Christ's name, amen.